Hello and welcome. It's a privilege to enjoy your company again here on Search for Truth and thanks for tuning in. Your Bible teacher Brian Johnston has the final talk in our present series of studies on the wonderful gospel. God's good news message for the whole world and for you and for me. Brian's given today's study, uh, today's talk, the title So Close But Now So Far. But first we join Brian in an aeroplane on a long haul flight. And here he is. Thank you, John. Welcome aboard. Well, when flying over to British Columbia from the United Kingdom, I always enjoy gazing out of the aeroplane window and looking down on the magnificent Rocky Mountains. I can so easily visualise, as I look down on the mountain ridges, the distinct possibility, one that's often quoted, of one raindrop landing inches away from another on a certain ridge peak in the Rockies, and them both beginning journeys that'll take them thousands of miles away from each other finally. One flows to the west and ultimately arrives in the Pacific Ocean, while the other flows to the east and arrives in the Atlantic Ocean. Their destinies are far apart from one another because of that watershed, but back then, for a moment, they were side by side. I looked out over the crowd in the Philippines before I spoke to them, while my colleague was making the usual introductions. My theme was going to be about emphasising God's grace. I went on to tell them how everyone in heaven will be there by God's grace and not by their own efforts. My text was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. To stress the point and make it personal, I recall saying, you may be standing close to your friend tonight, but one of you may end up in heaven and the other in the lake of fire. The latter is such a solemn possibility to consider, but consider it we must because it's based on the plain teaching of the Bible, teaching that was often, in fact, spoken by Jesus Christ, the kindest and truest of men. As we presented the cross then, about how God's Son, Jesus Christ, gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins 2,000 years ago, I remember declaring that night, under the tropical sky, that the cross of Christ is the great divide. Of course, that's the name taken from the Rocky Mountain Range, the name that indicates what I was saying a moment ago about two raindrops falling and landing side by side, but one just ever so slightly one side of the Great Divide and the other ever so slightly on its other side. From that moment, they begin their respective journeys to end up separated by a great distance. I then brought the crowd's attention back to the cross where God's son Jesus was crucified for us. I did this by referring to the two thieves who'd been crucified alongside Jesus on that same day. One thief on the one side and his accomplice on the other. But one was destined for paradise and the other, we presume, for the lake of fire. All despite the fact that they knew each other well and probably had been part of the same gang. Indeed, both living the same violent and godless lifestyle. Luke in his Gospel tells us the facts in chapter 23 and from verse 32. Two others also, he says, 
who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Perhaps there had been three of them earlier, all members of the same gang, the other being the prisoner named as Barabbas. He was the one who got released, you may recall. The Roman governor had found no fault with Christ, whom the Jewish religious leaders were trying to be rid of because they were envious of him. This was because of the following that Jesus was attracting from among the ordinary people. Pilate thought he could set Jesus free by reminding the people that at this time of year he always released one prisoner. But his strategy backfired when the priests incited the people to demand the freedom of Barabbas, a murderer, and not Jesus. The two remaining gang members, if we may refer to them like that, may well have cursed the fact that it was neither of them who got released. Barabbas, being more notorious perhaps, had been more readily identified. That hardly seemed fair. Not if it really was a case of the worst offender getting the get-out-of-jail-free card. On the other hand, as one of the remaining two later came to realise, they could hardly claim their treatment was unjust. They both deserved to die under the law for the crimes they'd done. That truth had only just begun to dawn on one of the two crucified thieves some time after he'd been hanging alongside Jesus. Jesus was on the middle cross, crucified between them. The Bible had predicted Jesus would be with the transgressors and the wicked in his death. The Bible tells us that Jesus' human life condemns us all. It certainly condemned that dying thief, and he began to be acutely aware of that. 
Before then, he'd joined in with his comrade, his accomplice in crime. They'd both been mocking Jesus, as we read a moment ago, but the thinking of one of them was becoming transformed. Jesus had never tried to resist, far less retaliate. While they'd cursed the soldiers who drove home the nails, Jesus had prayed for them to be forgiven. The contrast between his demeanour and theirs couldn't have been more marked. And now that difference began to convict one of the thieves. He called on his companion to stop the mocking. He wouldn't be party to it any longer. He urged him instead to consider how they truly deserved to die for their sins. But Jesus, he now confessed, had done nothing wrong. So he'd evidently heard about Jesus, the man of whom it was rightly said he went about doing good. And yet, as he acknowledged, Jesus was undergoing the same sentence of condemnation. How could that even be possible? The Apostle Peter later explained that Christ died the just for the unjust. And this particular thief seemed to come to some kind of awareness of that. His eyes must have glanced up at the superscription written above Jesus, nailed above his head on the cross. It might be expected that this would be his charge sheet, detailing the crimes he was guilty of. Since there were none, it simply stated the truth. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. How incongruous! A king suffering the worst kind of death by execution the one Romans reserved for the slaves and the despicable criminals. By now, this thief was not only repentant, confessing his guilt, but he was now also evidencing faith. Somehow, he found he could indeed believe that the man dying next to him, under the same form of execution, was in actual fact a king. His whole bearing and conduct was utterly dignified after all. Yes, even regal. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom, he heard himself call out, and he meant every word. We don't know if his accomplice poured scorn on his changed attitude, for nothing further about him is recorded. We're left to assume he went to his death an unchanged man, and so dying condemned, not only under Roman law, but under God's law. The Lord answers those who sincerely call upon him, And Jesus turned to the repentant thief and said the the most welcome words that man had ever heard. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Later that day, the thief's soul went to the same place the Lord's soul had gone to. This is described in Psalm 16 in the Hebrew language as Sheol, or the underworld, the part at least reserved for the souls of the righteous dead, while waiting ultimately to be resurrected to life. In one of his teachings, recorded in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 16, Jesus had earlier revealed that the departed souls of those who'd been credited as righteous through their faith were kept apart from the souls of those who died outside of faith in the Lord. Indeed, Jesus said there was an almighty chasm separating them, a gulf that could never be spanned. This is the biblical great divide much more awesome than the feature of the same name in the Canadian Rockies. This man had probably lived very closely among his fellow gang members. In the proverbial expression, they'd been as thick as thieves. But there was now an ultimate 
and eternal divide between them, how will it be with us and our family, neighbours and colleagues? And so Brian's told us about the cross being the great divide. And you'll note there's no sitting between the two uh, destinations. To make no decision is a rejection of God's message of salvation. Like King Agrippa in the Bible, who was almost persuaded, his hesitancy didn't change anything. So I hope you'll say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. If there's a comment or question you have, then get in touch and I'll give you the contact details if you have pen and a paper uh, to hand. And uh, the six talks in this series, along with some uh, more, are all available in booklet form. And they can be yours by asking for the title, Really Good News for Today. And you can do this by email or by post. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, the Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen ebooks and just type search for truth series into the search box and you should find them appear i'm sorry but that's all we have for today many thanks once again for the privilege of your company and please join us next week for a new series god willing in the meantime it's very best wishes from our bible teacher brian studio technician david our singers and me john so bye for now and may god richly bless you the cross be